listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Kill Guard Studios. Aaron, coming off Memorial Day weekend, I know you got that Speedo suntan. How was your holiday, my friend? Yeah, uh, a little rough on the tan lines, but other than that, everything was good. We're here June 1, Kurt. Hard to believe. You That's know, right. We're halfway through the year, so that means we either have to keep the momentum going off the great episodes that we've already have, or it's time to regroup and uh, hopefully, like my fishing, we will uh, start to escalate performance, right? right? So, <laughs> That's right. That's anyway. right. Well, we're going to escalate right here into this June 1 episode, as you mentioned, of Bass Edge Radio. Man, Aaron, we've got a uh, exciting show coming up. I feel like, you know, you mentioned shows in the past. I feel like this has been a great year for us, man. We've really been laying down some information, some knowledge for the listeners, knowledge for myself. I do my best every episode to make you a better fisherman, Aaron. Well, you've got your work cut out for you, Kurt. That's all I can say. And, uh, you know, selfishly, uh, I would agree. I mean, I have uh, very studiously been re-listening to episodes and trying to kind of take my fishing to the next level. And, of course, all of that is possible, Kurt, as we know from our great friends there at MegaWare Keel Guard, all things uh, protective, meaning the skate guard, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, the battery guard. I mean, the list goes on and on. The flex step, one of my favorites. But, of course, all of that can be found at keelguard.com. And, Kurt, you know, you talk about past episodes. Let me throw a couple names at you that we've had. Nick Lebrun, right? Cody Huff. The guy drives from a tournament, doesn't make the qualifying day, (laughs) drives straight through to go to Bull Shoals from Texas, and goes there and wins by almost 10 pounds. Then you've got Lee Levesey and Jesse Wiggins. Yeah, it's been a great little run here for some guys, man. Take a look at at, let's let's start off with Lee Livesey, right? One Lake Fork. Now he's back-to-back Lake Fork Elite Series champion. But, man, he's coming off a back-to-back literal back-to-back tournament-to-tournament win as, you know, Ross Barnett, BASS Central Open champion. And then, you know, he won the Lake Fork event there at the Elite Series. Just crazy, the momentum. You could see the same thing with Nick Lebrun, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we had him on, and it's just like, I mean, the guy has been all over it. He, uh, what, had a win and then a couple back-to-backs, I think? Yeah, he rails into uh, a top. 10 at Lake Pickwick at the MLF Pro Circuit, jumps in his truck, cruises over to the Ross Barnett Central Open, finishes second to none other than Lee Livesey, and then goes to Lake Gunnersville after a week off for the MLF Pro Circuit, you know, fourth event, and wins at Lake Gunnersville. Dude, I mean, Nick Lebrun is on fire. If you haven't gone back and listened to some episodes, maybe we all need to re-listen to what Nick's saying because it's working. It is definitely working. And then right there in your backyard, uh, Aaron, you got Jesse Wiggins breaking down his old school shaky head to win on Lake of the Ozarks. How long has it been since we've had a tournament from the boater side one on a shaky head? You know, that thing was all the rage years ago. (laughs) And now all of a sudden it's like, what? Yeah, well, we're going to work to get Jesse on, uh, you know, an episode soon here at Bass Edge Radio. Once our schedules get together, we're going to do a shaky head breakdown. That's what we're going to do because, you know, Jesse's from Smith Lake. So uh, he talked a lot during the Bass Pro Tour event there at Lake of the Ozarks about how familiar he felt, even though he hasn't been to Lake of the Ozarks a whole lot, but just lined up very similar to his home, like, you know, of Smith Lake there in Alabama. So it's going to be fun to, to talk to Jesse about that in the future and kind of break down that shaky head technique. And you mentioned, dude, Cody Huff 
misses the cut there at Lake Fork, or I, and I don't know if he missed the cut because it was a Sunday event on ah, Bull Shoal. Ah, okay, so I misquote there. Blows it out, dude. One by ten pounds to none other than my good friend Dave Mansu, who had sixteen and change on Bull Shoals, but Cody has twenty five for the win. What's well, up with and, that? Well, and keep in mind, Kurt, we're talking about it's it. You know, I spoke to good friends of ours, Gail Julian with Jewel Bait Company, and they were practicing for the OMTT, which was the Ozark Mountain Team Tournament on Saturday. Of course, the Solo Pro was on Sunday. But when I talked to him on Friday, the lake was at 25 feet above and coming up. And I think when Cody fished it, so it came up two feet overnight. So, you know, just to, to be able to, lake is coming up, it's way above pool and a roll in against a pretty stacked field, right? <laughs> right. And, you know... Put a seven pounder and win by almost 10 pounds. Unbelievable. Very cool to see. Uh, obviously, a tough cookie to deal with over there in your neck of the woods at Cody Huff. But uh, yeah, man, I almost it's just wish been... you would go to the AFC. <laughs> it's just been tough to stay up with all this stuff, man. Holy cow. I mean, not to mention some of the Toyota events that were going on. We didn't even dive into great detail about some of the uh, open events that that happened here over the last 10 to 20 days. It's pretty awesome, though. Pretty awesome. Yeah, speaking of pretty awesome, I know uh, we've got a special guest following kind of this theme that you have created since January. I'm excited yeah, to see man. who we've got on tap. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk with Brian from Seagar Fishing Lines. Man, they've got a new product that's going to be cool to talk about. So y'all stay tuned. We're going to come back right after this message. And uh, as we have been doing, introduce you to something new right here in the bass fishing world. Y'all stay with us. Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, Aaron, both you and I know this is a staple fishing line. Seaguar, specifically in the... Uh, of course, I got great saltwater line, but specifically here in the market, we know stuff about, which is bass fishing. So um, actually, I would say Seaguar, arguably one of the best fluorocarbons made is their Tatsu brand. Aaron, I know you've used it a lot. I've used it a lot as well. And My, today, my bank account uh, shows that because it is good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> That's right. Well, today we get the opportunity to chat with Brian, a uh, product expert with Seaguar Fishing Line. We get to learn about a new innovative line. Uh, line that has recently hit the market so brian thanks for popping in here on bass edge radio with us absolutely thanks for having me well brian uh again like kurt said i uh, appreciate you being with us but you know kurt has been talking this this new line tactics braid and i have not had a chance to get my hands on it but he and i's conversation is you know he just raves about it and i'm curious if you could start diving off into kind of this new offering from seaguar yes absolutely so um, we offer fluorocarbon and braided fishing lines, and we've had in the marketplace SmackDown braided line, which is a high-performance uh, tournament-grade eight-strand braid. However, 
you know, as you're well aware, being a fisherman, you know, that that braid's great. But then also there's a place for a four strand braid. A lot of times people like that, especially when fishing vegetation, because it can kind of help cut through vegetation, if you will. So we developed Tactex braid as a four strand braid, but we did something very unique with it. We made it camouflage in color. So it's non-repeating earth tones of greens and tans and browns. But then more importantly, we incorporated a fluorocarbon leader with each package. So now when you go to the store, it's um, an opening price point braid, 150 yard spool of it, $16.99. So you get your braid and fluorocarbon included in one package. The other neat thing about this product is we included a QR code on the side of the box. So if you're not certain on what kind of knot to tie to connect your braid to your fluoro, just take your cell phone out, open up the camera, scan the QR code, and it'll link you up to our website uh, with videos on how to tie knots uh, to connect your braided line to your fluorocarbon leader. Very simple process. That is super simple. You know, we've seen this trend. You hear about this trend a lot, you know, obviously with spinning reels, you know, and and finesse fishing where you've got your, you know, 15 or 20 pound braid, you know, with six, eight, 10 pound fluorocarbon leader, which is awesome. Now you don't have to buy a full spool of fluorocarbon to have a leader. It comes with the box in the tactic. So that's, that's awesome. But the neat thing about what Seaguar is doing in this this product is with the 40 50 65 80 pound braid they're also putting fluorocarbon leaders in with those I'll, I'll go over real quickly like for example with the 40 pound it comes with 15 pound fluorocarbon leader the 50 a 20 pound fluorocarbon leader 65 a 20 pound leader and the 80 pound braid comes with a 25 pound leader is this something that Seaguar did some research on as far as a uh new process that's coming into or new way to use fishing line in the freshwater market and that's why they developed this in the in the larger contest it's more you know to be consistent across the board you know with 10 pound through 80 pound we we needed to include fluorocarbon with each one and you know there are anglers out there that will be flipping or pitching a jig and they'll tie braid directly to their lure however you never know the water clarity when you're fishing, you know, the surface might be muddy, but down deep or deeper, it might be clear. You never know what kind of fish you might be missing by tying your braid directly to it. If you use the fluorocarbon leader that's included with it, you get that invisibility of fluorocarbon and the sensitivity of fluorocarbon. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily know this, but, you know, people think of braid as the most sensitive product out there. However, if you have a slack braid, then it fluorocarbon is actually more sensitive than braid when it's slack. So if you mm-hmm. use the two together, it makes it a little bit more sensitive by transferring that that sensitivity from the fluorocarbon to the braid. Yeah, it's a great point. Obviously, braid with, with no stretch, it, it basically, if you, if you have slack line, essentially you have no feel. <laughs> so, Correct. So, uh, Correct. Th- mm-hmm. it's, it's a great point. I remember an event several years ago uh, at Harris Chain during the MLF Pro Circuit Tournament that I was utilizing. Back then, Harris Chain was plumb full of, of hydrilla, and so the water was a little bit more clear. 
I felt like, you know, I was dragging some some uh, plastic across the edge of some hydrilla. And with that fluorocarbon, I, I felt like I was getting more bites than tying directly to braid. And this type of product is the exact thing that's going to make anglers think a little bit more about their presentation so that they can catch more fish and come in a nice, tidy package. Yes. Absolutely. Brian, you know, certainly Seaguar is, is, like Kurt mentioned, a staple in the uh, the freshwater market of, of fluorocarbon. I'm not too sure that that wasn't the first spool of fluorocarbon I ever owned, you know, 40 years ago when, when I, if, if it existed then. I, I'm pretty sure it was. But, you know, certainly being familiar with Tatsu, Abrazex, the traditional fluorocarbon, curious what kind of fluorocarbon actually comes with the Tactex braid uh, with regards to the leader. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a little history real quick. Uh, Seaguar invented fluorocarbon fishing line back in 1971. So we invented it 51 years ago. And we are the only company out there that produces our own fluorocarbon resins and extrudes it into fishing line. There's no other company in the fishing industry that can say they do both. So that gives us a very unique advantage. Uh, the products we use, any of our fluorocarbon is 100% Seaguar custom proprietary resins extruded into fluorocarbon. So we don't say exactly what product it is. However, we do say that it is 100% fluorocarbon genuine cigar fluorocarbon. Super cool. I, I remember, and I think I've mentioned this probably, Aaron, on a show that we did way back in the day, but but Brian, I remember when fluorocarbon first came out, um, I was fishing on Lake Erie. First time I ever used it, this new stuff, you know, fluorocarbon that I had uh, roped onto my, my spinning reel. And I had eight pound test mono in one one hand and eight pound test fluorocarbon in another hand <laughs> back then you know we're just dragging tubes around shelves you know that's what we did 25 30 years ago and uh man you could tell the difference and you knew immediately what a difference this fluorocarbon style of line was going to make so it's it's cool to hear about seagar's history within the business and specifically within fluorocarbon man the sky's the limit with this product in bass fishing specifically again uh, the freshwater market the camo color i gotta say dude it looks awesome it, it really comes out well and, and like you said it's it's kind of an inconsistent but yet consistent right you know the camo color so uh, and, it, and it seems like that four strand braid do you feel like also it holds a knot better than the eight strand eight strand a little bit more smooth line because the strands are so much smaller the four strand braid you know has obviously a, a thicker per strand piece so do you feel like it holds knots better as too i feel like in your lower pound test if you're comparing tactics to smackdown the smackdown is very thin and slick mm-hmm. and very smooth. So I think your knots can sometimes um, slip, right. you know, with the eight strand, but the four strand and eight strand, if you compare apples to apples, the knot strings are going to be roughly the same. Right. Yes. But it, maybe just uh, easier uh, to tie with that four strand. Would you agree with that maybe? Yeah. 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 And the, the abrasion resistant is going to be much better, much greater with a four strand uh, braid compared to an eight strand. Well, regardless, Brian, I think the takeaway that I have, and, and I think it's very unique, it's almost like we now have a fishing caddy, the QR code, if I can't remember how to tie Kurt's Jacob's ladder to get my, <laughs> my two pieces of line connected, regardless, I can select the best knot for whatever piece of braid that I'm using, whether it's Tactex or Smackdown or, you know, what have you. Exactly. And, you know, the way we have it set up is kind of uh, 
you know, from a beginner's guide to uh, to more of an expert guide with the, the latest craze of the FG knot and everything in between. So that's right. That's good right. selection. Well, Brian, again, just want to thank you for providing information on the new tactics braid and, and also just on the history of, of Seaguar, their presence, their dominance, I should say, you know, in the uh, fluorocarbon and, and fishing line market. Um, any closing thoughts before we uh, transition out? No, I'd, every, I'd encourage everybody to take a look at it at their uh, local dealer and check us out at Seaguar.com. Um, or on uh, social media at Fish Seaguar. Fantastic. Well, Bass Edge Nation, there you have it. There you are for all the latest on Seaguar. Follow them on uh, their social media or certainly to the website. In the meantime, let's uh, move right on into our featured angler spotlight. Don't go anywhere. Right after the short break, Kurt and I will join our next featured angler right here on Bass Edge Radio. I'm FLW Tour Pro Luke Duncan. I'm professional angler Keith Poche. This is 2019 Bassmaster Classic Qualifier Jared Littner. This is BASS Elite Series angler Seth Fighter. This is Facts and Fishing host Dave Mercer, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, there's a lot of firsts right here on Bass Edge. And uh, we've got another one today, dude. I'm stoked to have this angler on the show. But interestingly enough, he's spending his honeymoon with we got Nick Hatfield on the line, and his, him and his wife Isabella just got married this past weekend. So excited to talk to him about that. But, but man, we're, we're not in the hot tub together, Kurt. <laughs> but no, we're not all in the hot tub together. Man, this guy's been off to a blistering hot start his rookie year on the MLF Pro Circuit. He's coming off back-to-back top five, sitting in 10th place overall in the Angler of the Year. Stands with just two events remaining. Man, looking forward to diving into understanding his success and how he likes to attack fishing in June. Bass Edge welcomes MLF pro angler Nick Hatfield. Nick, great to have you right here on Bass Edge Radio. Congratulations on being married. (laughs) Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, it's been a pretty crazy past couple of months. Been super busy just trying to stay focused on fishing and then, uh, you know, getting married and everything. So, but it's been great. It's been all smooth and everything's working out. But yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we're glad to have you and, uh, you know, congrats on both your success and also the marriage, you know. And according, Nick, to your Major League Fishing profile, Greenville, Tennessee is home. Did you grow up fishing there on the Nolichucky? Yeah, I fished the Nolichucky a little bit growing up. It's pretty good for, you know, smallmouth fishing and stuff, but uh, mainly just Cherokee, Douglas, and some of the other surrounding lakes. I mean, I, I spent some time with my dad in some smaller boats in the Nolichucky and then just fishing off the bank there. But, uh, 
my start in fishing was, I mean, I was, you know, five, six years old, even maybe even a little younger. And my dad would be fishing and, you know, it'd be hot or whatever. He'd have me in a little kiddie pool in the bottom of the boat while he was fishing. <laughs> and, you know, so I've been doing it. I've, I've been around it at least, you know, for a long time. And then, you know, just growing up, I played golf throughout middle school. And I mean, I played some other sports too, but then when I got to high school, I stuck with golf and really loved playing golf. I think I just kind of got burned out on it. And it didn't help that my dad bought me a boat when I was 17. <laughs> oh, wow, and awesome. so I started just burning the wheels off of that thing. And here I am, you know, I, I just, I love to catch bass. I don't know. I love the tournament side of things. It's just so much fun to me. I mean, every day I go out, it's like, I just absolutely love being out there. Just fired up. You got the uh, stomach bug every time you're launching the boat and getting ready to go out there, getting goosebumps. That's that's awesome to hear. I, ha- I had to throw that Nolachucky circumstance in there for Aaron to ask that question. Yeah, I just like saying that name. <laughs> I, that is right. I just, well, you got, you know, it's an interesting place you come from over there in East Tennessee. As you mentioned, you got Cherokee, Douglas, but uh, you got got some river fishing over there. It's a mountain area. You know, it's, it's up mm-hmm. in the hills kind of area. Um, I actually went to college not far from there, just on the other side of the uh, mountain ridge in Brevard, North Carolina. And, okay. um, you know, when I was looking through Google Maps and kind of doing some research for the show, I knew that the French Broad and the Nolichucky ran into the top of, of Lake Douglas. But I had mm-hmm. no idea that the French Broad is one of those crazy rivers that comes out of the mountains to the south in North Carolina and turns all the way back around through Asheville and back up into Tennessee going into uh, Lake Douglas. I, I thought that was one of the craziest things. I'd, I I just couldn't imagine that. Are you f- super familiar with all that crazy lake geography that's going on over there? Yeah, man, it's really nuts. It's pretty crazy. You know, like sometimes we won't even get rain here, but they'll get a lot of rain in the mountains. And then, it's you know, it's affecting the lake. It's pretty wild just the different lakes we have here. I mean, we've got several mountain lakes like Watauga and South Holston. They're phenomenal smallmouth fisheries. There's some big green ones in there too, but, and then we've got just the rest of the lakes. I mean, they all, they're all connecting. You know, Watauga and Holston run together into Boone and then Boone Lake runs down into Fort Patrick Henry and then from Fort Patrick Henry on down into uh, Cherokee. But it's all great. It's really diverse, you know, and then, the, you know, another crazy thing about them is uh, Cherokee and Douglas, Holston, Watauga, they're all real similar in, in doing this, but Cherokee and Douglas probably do it the most, is they fluctuate. You know, right. Cherokee and Douglas, they get drawn down, you know, 40 feet at times in the yeah. winter, 30, yeah. 40 feet. And uh, it really shakes things up. It's challenging at times for guys that have never seen that before. But Ot Defoe told me one time, we were just talking about it, and he told me, he said, man, I, I really like that they fluctuate the lakes. He said he, that he thinks it just gives it a fresh restart it gives the fish a chance to you know hide and change and just kind of stay away so it's a good thing but it can be challenging to fish and i think east tennessee and all these lakes that we do have i think just being real diverse as they are you know i think that's what really makes a lot of good fishermen come out of this area because uh, you know there there are quite a few really good fishermen that come out of this area absolutely is absolutely is and and you talk about some of the uh intricacies about the bodies of water there in that area not a lot of like big current like typical tva fisheries when you get downstream 
uh, you start talking about, you know, Watts Bar, Chickamauga, obviously, you know, going through Nick Jack. Then you hit a couple lakes where you had two top fives recently. I had a uh, top five there on Lake Gunnersville mm-hmm. at the recent Pro Circuit. And then downstream from there, you had a uh, another top five down there at Lake Pickwick. So growing up, is that your preference? Do you like to be kind of a deep offshore water guy? And, and how did that evolve from your standpoint of a fishing strength? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we always fished the bank mostly growing up. And it's not that my dad didn't know how to fish deep. I mean, I just grew up in the era of when I was in the boat with my daddy, you know, we had flashers and stuff. And a lot of kids nowadays don't even really realize the flasher deal and everything. I've never yeah. spent a lot of time <laughs> learning it and stuff. But, you know, as I was coming onto the scene, as I was getting, you know, more into it and learning, you know, we started getting some better depth finders and then they had side scan and down scan. And I just kind of took it and run with it, which, of course, I had some help. You know, I, ha- I had some guys here locally that really took me under their wing, and taught me some stuff and helped me out. But I would say, you know, the past four or five years, maybe more five to eight years I've you know done a lot better in most of the tournaments I've done good in just you know fishing deeper because you know we've got a lot of deep smallmouth fishing and then Douglas of course is probably the closest lake we have here to you know Pickwick and Gunnersville as far as like deep you know ledge fishing with schools of bass and the current and this and that but um, I've been able to spend a lot of time on Pickwick and Gunnersville throughout the years me and my college partner Corey Nice, you know, we got to fish. Oh, a I didn't lot know you guys places. fished in college together. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We had a pretty good team going there, man. It was a good deal. But we got to fish a lot of different lakes, and we spent a lot of time on Pickwick and Gunnersville, and we had some success on both. We top five the uh, ACA College National Championship on Pickwick a couple times, and uh, we won one on Gunnersville. The one we won on Gunnersville was a rattle trap deal. It was like late February, but just the time that I've been able to spend down there on those lakes and you know, you learn you learn so much every day you go out on the water and go fishing, regardless if you catch anything or not. But just the time I've put in doing that and everything else, I, I do think that I prefer fishing deep sometimes, but something, you know, that I I try to tell myself is you know like shallow nowadays is the new deep just because of all the new electronics and everything that everybody has i mean you know you look five seven years ago not everybody had all the electronics and knew how to use them but it seems like you know in today's fishing world you know instead of there being a handful of guys that know it you know there's a good 50 to 75 percent of guys that really know it and lean on it like that so it changes it and that's something that you know I, i always try to look at going into things is you know because there's been so many tournaments I've went to Chickamauga, Gunnersville, Douglas, Pickwick, whatever it may be, and I, I've tried to force the deep bite just because that's what I like to do so much. Sure. And then it's it's turned around and it's it's burned me. So yeah, I, I really try and make sure that I try to you know at least practice shallow and try to find something shallow just to fall back on. But deep is definitely you know one of my favorite things to do and i seem to be a little bit better at it but you know getting better and learning to be a more shallow water angler is definitely something i'm working on well it's funny you bring that up you know nick about uh, your comments about shallows the new deep we've spent a lot of time just obviously with the popularity of the new forward-facing sonar but several pros like yourself have said the exact same thing you know used to you could get out in the depths and you'd be by yourself now it's the exact opposite and kind of the fish up shallow are the ones that aren't bothered so it'll be interesting over the next couple of years to see if that comes more into uh 
you know, vogue, I guess, if you will, of going back to the shallow. One thing you brought up that you do like to fish deep is your approach here going into the kind of this first part of June. Will you generally attempt to stay out deep or are you going to mix it up a little bit with shallow and, and just kind of, you know, let the uh, let the fish kind of speak to you? Yeah, um, it really depends on what lake I'm on. But, you know, if you're on a lake that they get out deep really good, then if, if that's where I'm at, you know, I'll obviously I'll spend some time out there. And if I'm just going out you know, practicing or just going out fun fishing. I always like to start early in the morning up shallow unless I'm like on them really good out deep and I'm going to fish a tournament or something. Because first thing in the morning out deep, if you're on a good school of fish or something, it can be, you know, the best part of the day to catch them. But I do like to throw top water and swing a chatterbait around. And this time of year can be a really good time of year to catch them on a frog especially around this area because, uh, you know, the lakes have been down, like I said. And, then, you know, normally by mid, late April or mid-May, they've all came up in their full pool. And there's a lot of, like, water willow in the lake now. And there's brim beds and everything like that going on. And a lot of times I can I can actually get away from a lot of people and get some really good bites, catch some good fish, just throwing a frog and stuff around. And uh, I really like to do that first thing in the morning, unless, you know, like I said, if I'm fishing a tournament. but it's one of those things like here at home, they don't pull much current, especially on Douglas. Like we don't hardly get any current until the afternoons. It's like mm-hmm. maybe, you know, four or five in the evening until dark is when they'll pull real hard. So I normally don't even get to go out. I normally just work or whatever I got going on that day. And then I'll go out, you know, two, three o'clock and I'll fish until it gets dark. And that can be the best time of the day to go out there and really lean on them out deep because just that current that makes them set up so good and gets them stacked on some of those places and it makes them a lot easier to catch. So that's typically what I do. But it is fun to, you know, go flip willow bushes, throw a frog. And I really enjoy doing that. It just seems like, you know, the past five, seven, eight years here, if you haven't been deep, you know, you're not catching as much quality right. as you can up on the bank. Nick, let me tap into into this question to pick your brain. Electronics. You know, you talked about electronics and you kind of grasped into that several years back, you know, as, as that started to evolve. And, and, of course, now with the forward-facing sonar, everybody talks about using electronics deep, you know, using forward-facing sonar offshore. How about using your electronics shallow? When you're up there frogging, flipping bushes, how are you able to use this gamut of information that we have at the console and the front of our boats from a technology standpoint to make your shallow water fishing that much better than it is other than visibly looking at cover? Yeah. So are you using those pieces of equipment in that shallow water technique like you're talking about at all? Yes, for sure. I mean, like side scan, first off, you know, just at the dash, you know, when you're out there and you're idling around in some pockets and in some creeks, I mean, side scan can be one of the best things to just see brim beds or see grass lines or it can show you rock piles, brush piles that are in 10 foot or less. I mean, side scan is probably the best one to actually find some cover. You can almost see some of it. You can see some of it if you're visually looking, but side scan will show you a brim bed and you can say, oh, well, hey, there's a brim bed there. I'm going to drop a waypoint on that. And you'll drop the troll motor. And then at that point, you can stay off of it and you can just cast over there to it. And then once you drop the trolling motor you know like a big thing for me that i didn't really start using until spring of last year and i'm not sponsored or anything so it's not a sponsor plug but uh, hummingbird 360 it's really changed the way i fish you know and and live scope is great too i couldn't do a lot without live scope but 
live scope for me, if I'm in five foot or less, you know, you can still use it, but it's it's not something that I use to really see my bait with or anything like that. I'll still be scanning it around and kind of checking out the grass. And sometimes you can even see them in that five foot or less. But live scope is, uh, I, I don't really use it near as much as I do 360. I catch myself staring at my 360 a lot more nowadays than I used to. And it's definitely a huge player for me. I mean, you can be spot locked and you can still see, you know, it spins every few seconds and you can see exactly where the cover that you, you're fishing is, you know, whether it be brim beds, brush pile, grass, whatever. And it, it just allows you to make pinpoint casts. I mean, you know, even out on those schools out deep, you know, like what I did on Gunnersville, a lot of people may think that I was catching them, you know, strictly just using live scope. But there was so many of those schools of fish that I would pull up on and then the first four or five casts, it was like, bam, bam, bam. And then, you know, they just kind of scatter and bust up. Mm-hmm. And I would actually sometimes sit there long enough to where I could see on my 360, I could see the school start gathering back around in front of me on the spot. And then, you know, after like 10 or 15 minutes, I look down and there's just, I mean, 20 to 50 of them stacked. And I, and you can count them on the 360. And I'm sitting there spot the whole time. And I'm not really panning my live scope around. I mean, every now and again, I'll, you know, I'll move it around and I'll check to make sure they're not, you know, piled up somewhere around me. But that 360, man, it, it really is the deal. And it just, you know, it shows you the school, shows you exactly how many of them are there. You can even tell which ones in the school are bigger. And it, it's such a powerful tool for me shallow and deep. It helps me make sure I've got my bait where it needs to be 100% of the time. That's refreshing to hear, man. Which uh, So many times we, we get into some of these conversations, just live scope, live target. And of course, everybody knows about 360, but to hear about how you're using it specifically up shallow and some of the advantages it's giving you there is really cool to hear, man. We're getting some East Tennessee knowledge right here on Bass Edge. Y'all hang in there. We're going to power pole down for a minute, but we're going to be right back with MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Nick Hatfield, right after these messages. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with MLF Pro Circuit Angler Nick Hatfield in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Nick, uh, welcome back after that quick break. A lot of times, man, a difficult concept for anglers is heading to a tournament and understanding the task at hand. How do you practice for events? You've been really successful here in your rookie year, fishing some familiar waters, some not quite as familiar, but are there specific ways you like to go about preparation? What has worked out for you so far this year? Yeah, so um, I do a lot of map study, and I do some research, and I, I, I like to read, you know, read up on some places and just look at history and stuff, you know, but um Basically, you know, after I've gathered some info, I'll I'll try to throw a couple rods together of just, you know, kind of what I like to do and what I think might be a player at that time when we go. But it's crazy for me, you know, if I go out there 
and I try to practice and I just try to get by and just try to cut a check. It seems like I do way worse than if I just go out there and I just try to do good. It's kind of hard to explain, but if I go out and I'm practicing just to try and cut a check, just to catch 12 pounds a day, it always seems like it turns out worse for me than if I just go out and I try to look for a couple sweet spots, a couple places that I really can do good in the tournament. I basically just do what I'm comfortable with. I do what I'm confident in. I stick with the things that I'm you know, I'm really comfortable doing and I, I feel like I have the most confident with. I do basically what I like to do the most. And sometimes it works out for the better. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, like Harris Chain this year, I stayed out off the bank. I looked for offshore hydrilla. I had some good bites in practice and I found some shell beds that I could catch them on. And, you know, this is all, you know, deeper stuff rather than right. being up on the bank. Sure. And, um, you know, I've always, especially this year, I, you know, you've got to you've got to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. I mean, you've, you've got to really have several things going at each one of these events to be able to compete. So, you know, I, I did find some fish shallow and stuff, but like my bread and butter was out there, out deep. That's what I have confidence in. I've top 10 on the Harris chain before doing that. So, you know, you see how it turned out for me. I finished 131st. I mean, tough event for you. Yeah. Yeah. Really tough event. Just things didn't go my way. I had a really bad day one. I caught like a six pounder on my third cast and then didn't have another bite all day long. It was just one of those days you can't do much about it. We're all going to have them. But, you know, as far as Pickwick and Gunnersville and Rayburn and all those, you know, I show up and I just, I go, I stick with my strengths. I try to find fish doing stuff that I like to do. And uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But it seems like when it works out, it, it ends up being, you know, pretty good for me. So let's elaborate just briefly, Nick. You know, let's say here as, as we are in June to put these strategies to work to do what you like to do. Maybe somewhere you don't get to go much like, uh, I don't know, say Nickajack there on the Tennessee River. Yeah. So Nickajack, if I was going to show up there tomorrow to practice two days, fish a tournament. I have a little bit of history there. I, I haven't been there, but maybe once or twice, so I don't have much. But I would just do some research. I would do some study on the graph. I would look for some places, you know, out deep that I, I think that they would set up. I'd drop some waypoints. That way, when I get there, I'm not just going blind. I have some places to go right to and graph across. And then as far as uh, up shallow, like I, I know they have some hydrilla and stuff. So I'll basically just, I would just try to give myself two or three really good ideas of, fish should be doing this they should be doing this and they're probably going to be doing this and i just the first day of practice i'll try to run each of the three you know all at the same time keeping an open mind you've got to keep an open mind when you're on the water you you know you you never know when you're going to find fish in a weird place doing something you never thought they would be doing (laughs) i mean that's all the time so you've got to keep an open mind and you've got to keep your eyes peeled and you've got to you know it's so much like deer hunting I mean, you you have to go out and you have to be the apex predator. I mean, you've got to go out there and you've got to just hunt them down and find them. But, you know, showing up to Nick and Jack, I would just, you know, I love to fish deep. And I, I would probably spend a lot of time graphing. I would check a lot of places, you know, and depending on what I'm seeing out there, you know, within a few hours of graphing, if I'm not seeing very much, you know, that tells me, hey, we can get back out here and look a little bit later. But let's go, you know, let's go up, let's fish some grass, let's Let's fish the bank for a while. Let's let's look for some other stuff. That's basically how I would approach it, and just kind of bounce back and forth until the fish tell you something that would be uh, 
of benefit and help you end up getting on them really good. Right. You know, it's interesting. So oftentimes, you know, a lot of the weekend anglers will try to keep that open mind, try to keep looking at some, a couple, you know, maybe not as many scenarios as a great angler like Nick Hatfield would look at, but, but they're going to look at, you know, maybe two, maybe three scenarios if they're going out for a day trying to catch some bass. And and they'll do some of the things that they hear are working or they see or understand, you know, a pattern that's going on on a particular lake, but they just don't get the bites. Um, yeah. What do you feel makes the pro circuit anglers, the BBT anglers, you know, so dang consistent? Is there a secret sauce or recipe that the average weekender is missing? Um, I would probably say just maybe time on the water, just the experience, because, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, guys, they may do something that they hear about that they know people catch them on, but they just don't get the bites. I think you got to keep in mind that, you know, there's a lot of different situations you can run into on the water. And if you want to go punch a big weight all day and you're not doing it in the right area or in the right scenario, then you, you're probably not going to get the bites. But, you know, if you put that bait in the right place at the right time, then you're going to get bit. And, you know, I think it just boils down to experience and confidence in what you're doing. And a lot of weekend anglers may have not had, you know, a ton of experience or time on the water to build that confidence up. And, uh, you know, I, I just I just believe that a lot of times the pro circuit anglers, you know, it's it's a level playing field. We've all spent the time on the water. We've all caught them on this and that. And we, we can all make those good casts and I think it comes down to a lot of decision-making, too. I think it's a mindset, and I think it's uh, just decision-making. It's all it's all upstairs for the most part, I believe, it, you know. Yeah. So just the time on the water and to know when to go here, and to, to know when to do this, to know when to pull the plug on something. I think it's basically just that, just the – just the mind game and decision making and just the confidence so yeah good stuff you know looking ahead to your pro circuit events remaining you have the james river later this month and lake champlain to close it out give me your mm-hmm. 45 second what makes you feel confident you know you'll have a good shot at the top five angler of the year finish to qualify for the bbt in 2023 well uh if it wasn't the james i would feel more confident <laughs> but uh <laughs> I've been there a time or two, and uh, I've gotten close to doing good on the James before. So I'm just going to go give it everything I got and just let the chips fall where they fall. I mean, I really do feel like that if I can go to the James and I can knock out a you know a top 30 finish there and just squeak on by, then, then I get to what I really like to do, and that, that being Champlain. I love to fish for smallmouth. You know, we talked earlier about what we have here in East Tennessee. I've grown up catching smallmouth, and man, I love Champlain. I've had some success there in the past, and I really look forward to that one. So it's going to be important for me to just, you know, get myself a good top 30 or 40 finish on the James and uh, get on up there to Champlain and, and really do everything I can on that one. Well, it's cool to be in a in the position you are, you know, with a couple of events to go that you got a shot. There's most of the field doesn't have a shot, and and uh, Nick Hatfield's still in the mix. So that's that's pretty awesome. And uh, congratulations on that, my friend. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Every episode, we have the Nitro Performance Bass Boats listener question segment. This question comes in from Bill Lortz in Watertown, New York. Probably a scenario he's seen or dealt with recently, but that is, what is the best move when a cold front pushes through up in New York after some bass betting has already begun? Oh, yeah, Bill. It's a great question. Uh, 
So I've actually ran into that situation a time or two. I've ran into it here in East Tennessee uh, on some lakes that we have a lot of smallmouth on, and I've actually ran into it up north uh, a couple times fishing for bed and smallmouth. And it just seems like to me that the best thing to do is to probably leave those bed and fish alone, go out a little bit deeper in that mid-depth range, and fish out there for most of the morning. Wait until at least the midpoint of the day, because those fish, even if they have started spawning, they still will spawn, and you're still going to be able to catch them but you just need to slow down when you do go back to them just take your time fish real thorough and just be patient with them because in a cold front like that it seems like they're even more finicky than they were before and then you know you want to just take your time slow down and give them time to actually get set back up on the nest because i've had several situations where i've got them found on the bed whether it be at home or up north and i'll show up there daylight after we blast off for a tournament or whatever and they're not there and you're thinking well, what the heck? And a lot of times I think that they just, when a cold front hits, they just kind of slide out just a little ways off of it. And then as soon as the sun gets a little high, or even if you don't have any sun, if the temperature just gets up a little bit, I think it just takes them a few hours each morning to try to just get right back up there where they were. Because I do believe once a fish starts, he's going to finish it. That's great advice there for that question from Bill. But when they do back off, do you feel like you've got to finesse them at that point? Or can you still use reaction <clears throat> baits? And when you say back off, I mean, is are you are you just moving out to 5 to 15 or are you jumping way back yeah. out to 15 to 25? No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say so much as 15 to 25. I am. You know, that time of year, you can always catch fish deep in the mid-depth and then spawning. And then they're just, they're going to be going back and forth. You're going to have spawners, pre-spawners, and post-spawners just kind of shuffling around there that time of year. But, you know, I think the ones that are up there on the bed that you're wanting to catch, if you don't see them there, I think they just slide out, you know, 10 to 15 foot. You know, it may be 15 to 20, but I've had some success just throwing a little swim bait uh dragging a drop shot you know everybody knows the flatworms the deal and i don't really know of any time that they won't eat the thing so <laughs> stuff like that you know a ned and I, I do think you could probably get some bites on a jerk bait and some reaction baits like that but it seems like for me just just try to stay finesse try to stay you know real subtle with your approach and it seems like that you'll still get some bites but you know always just be sure to stay close by to the spawning area because you don't you don't want to leave it too far and then somebody else slot in there and get on them while you're waiting. So, you know, you want to stay pretty close, stay stay within sight of it, and just try that mid-depth range. You know, little swim baits, little Ned rigs, drop shots, same type of stuff that you're going to fish with them for on the bed, but maybe a little bit different instead of dragging so much. You know, cast that swim bait a long ways, make long casts, and just keep it constantly reeling back. And you'll catch some of those fish that are just out there roaming, waiting on the sun to get higher, waiting on the day to get a little bit warmer so they can slide back up there. Well, Nick, we certainly appreciate you answering that question for Bill. And Bill, we need one more thing from you, and that is to simply log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information. Let us know that you heard Nick answer your question right here on Episode 377, and we will get the Midway gift card sent out directly to you. Aaron, that's a great gift, $25 Midway USA gift card. That's right. A free 25 bucks, essentially, we're paying you for those questions that come into Bass Edge Radio. You can find those posts 
out on our Instagram page or Facebook page. All you got to do is comment on the post to ask your question. If you hear it on the show, you're going to get a gift card. Well, Nick, uh, really appreciate you carving out time and being on the show and especially us getting to, as Kurt alluded to, we're spending the honeymoon together with you. So that is a first. <laughs> any any closing <laughs> remarks for the listeners before we shut down? Yeah, no, it's no problem. I really appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, we're actually not on a honeymoon. We've, uh, we're actually just back to work. It's kind of crazy. We we just decided that we're going to wait a little while. We're going to save some money. We're really wanting to buy some land, try to build a house and whatnot. So it's all good, but I do appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully I can keep up the good work. I'm just going to go, you know, do my best at each event. Hopefully I'll end up, you know, at the top at the end of the season. But, you know, I, I do appreciate you guys and uh, everything you guys got going on. It's awesome. So, again, thank you. Well, we're going to be looking for you at the top of the leaderboard, Nick. It's great to have you here on Bass Edge. Obviously, best of luck the rest of the way. Everybody else, hang right in here. Aaron and I will be back after these messages. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Aaron, fun interview. Great to catch up with with a new angler, you know, Nick Hatfield, new to Bass Edge Radio. Uh, Man, I met Nick, you know, through some friendships through Featherwick, a group called Featherwick, which is kind of a little online video group uh, i've got some some mutual friends there but nick's nick's a part of that featherwick family and uh, that's kind of how i met nick and then we started working together with hayabusa and i gotta say I, I haven't been able to really have a long conversation with nick like like we just did there in the interview and uh dude's silky smooth he, he's got that like southern charm voice thing i, I wonder if he talking fish into the boat that's part of his success yeah the, talking, the fish talking. whisper you know yeah, I th- yeah. he's got a good radio voice dude he does are you telling me you want me to interview him for your position <laughs> or are you <laughs> right. telling me i'm fired or what or what are you saying <laughs> no but uh man it was great to pick his brain he's got a lot of good knowledge being very successful obviously in this new realm of uh he's obviously fished a long time he, he mentioned in the interview that he was college angler with uh, Corey Neese. Got to bring up the Corey's a great angler and also a pro circuit check casher. So uh, those two guys fishing together in college had to have been just a freaking dominant force. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you can tell just by, like, I, I know you said that part jokingly, but mainly serious. I mean, the guy is polished, and obviously for yeah. those two, just because you take two good anglers does not necessarily mean, right, that they're going to be successful in 21 feet apart from each other. So uh, decision-making, all those types of things, um, but he definitely has it going on. And then, you know, Kurt also, great job on getting Brian with Seagar in there, you know, just the the history there with dating back to the originators of of fluorocarbon sea line how long that they've been doing that but then also the fact that they're the only company that yeah. that extrudes their own fluoro strands cool history yeah 51 years like drop the mic we made the stuff kind of deal so uh that that's that's cool we we talked off mic about maybe you know Brian coming back in and doing a line episode something that we haven't done before so it'd be great to have his knowledge being a product expert you know and cigar's got tons of types of lines what are they all made for are, well what, i i the use dynamic I which use one's right types, for what technique know, exactly okay which which four to use basically tatsu a uh-huh. brazex and then, of course, I haven't tried the Tactics braid, but then uh, the Smackdown, Smackdown on the braid, braid and then just the uh, traditional fluorocarbon red label. Okay. Yeah, man. So it's cool, man. It's it's going to be fun to get him back on the program, Bass Nation. Stay tuned for that. I don't think it's going to come in the next couple months, but we'll definitely do something with Brian, you know, in the fall, maybe early winter time frame to uh, get him on when, when there's less tournament activity going on. So, uh, yeah, but might. man, it's, it's been a fun show, Aaron. Appreciate you uh, allowing me to fodder with the <laughs> man you took deep on that one okay all right well I, I can tell you kurt it has been fun but i i can't say that i'm still going to be here we're, we're not going to have the longevity perhaps of cigar we're 15 years into it i i, I don't see another 35 years of, of this but uh anyway maybe maybe you should go ahead and get him booked on the calendar sooner rather than later but hey we are out of time kurt any closing thoughts before we shut her down i'm going fishing I'm going fishing. It's time to be on the water. The fish is biting. Yes, sir. The fish is biting. Yes, they are. All right. And I'm, well. I'm, I'm about to take a bunch of kids fishing. So we're going to do my bass camp is starting like ASAP. So uh, if y'all want to watch and stay tuned, all that stuff, check out the uh, pro bass camp social media and watch some kids catch some fish down here like Amistad. It's always Sa- cool sounds great. Can't wait to see it, hear about it all the above you always do such a great job but in the meantime kurt we are out of time you get on the water i'm going to move on with my day bass edge nation appreciate all of you tuning us in every episode right here on bass edge radio for all things bass edge stay on top via our social media outlets as well as BassEdge.com. for kurt dove i am aaron martin so long everybody is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.